Okay, as we uh, as we turn our attention to verses thirteen through twenty two in Job chapter one, uh, what we're going to see um, is something that's really important about a person with true faith. Uh, true faith will always manifest itself. Uh, when it counts, uh, you know, when 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 everything seems to be falling apart around you, um, trials and tribulations come. A true faith um, always holds you up. Now, you need to make sure that you don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. It doesn't mean that people of faith don't grieve or people of faith don't suffer. Um, it surely doesn't mean that the the people of faith agonize don't agonize over their circumstances um, when they find themselves in hardships or or those kind of things. It doesn't mean that they don't cry and they don't feel these things. But what it does mean is that uh, those that have a true faith, and, and when, when I'm talking about a faith, I'm not talking about something that you muster up for yourself. I'm talking about a supernatural, uh, God-given, he changed my heart, caused me to be born again, um, caused me to to uh, desire him. You know, I'm talking about a change of heart that's wrought in God, not a, hey, guy, you better have you better have faith. You better muster up your faith. You know, that's not what I'm talking about about i'm talking about um a changed heart that's that's uh brought about by god um that that kind of faith will eventually find itself drawing closer um, to the only source of comfort that that can, can possibly be, be had by a person like that and that's god um and once again it's not because um, what we're going to see in job's case is that uh job is is about to begin his test you know his satan is about to be unleashed to uh, wreak havoc upon him and what we're going to see is uh especially initially here in the first parts of job um first parts of the book job is going to respond um as per the heart that he has which is in faith um i remember having a discussion about salvation with uh, you know a family member of mine, uh, we were sitting at this uh, d- dinner table, this dining room table, and and the person was doing their best to uh, to assure me that they were saved and on their way to heaven. They you know said that they had prayed the prayer and they had done the deal and walked the aisle and you know all those kind of things and. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I'm not I'm not the the one who judges these things, but uh, but I know that this person, you know, I know their life, and I know that there's precious little in their life to give evidence to the fact that God's changed them. You know, whether they say I believe there is a God and I believe in Jesus and all those things, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I I don't doubt that one bit. Even even the demons believe. You know, everyone. You know, everyone could say that they have some sort of belief that there was a man named Jesus. 
But to see this person's life, you would never know. You would never know that God had supernaturally changed them to desire him. I'm not saying that you have to be perfect or that you have to you know, walk around with a Bible or with a halo on your head or anything like that. But the Bible does say that you know, when a person is saved, he will exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, not because he's a good person now. He's still the same old sinful person, but it's because the Holy Spirit lives in them you know so i was challenging this person you know a little and we were talking through things and one of the things that i told him was that uh it's so easy to say everything is fine between me and god i got it going on as as we were sitting at this comfortable table uh the two of us weren't sick we uh there was no impending tragedy that we knew was in the immediate future there were no serious worries about you know where our next meal would come from or about our life you know it, we really were we really were quite comfortable quite blessed as we sat there talking and it's easy to be sure it's easy to be sure or to think that you're sure that uh you know that that everything's fine and and God's happy with me and I'll be fine when I stand before him in judgment it's easy to be sure of those things when uh when uh, we sit comfortably and there's nothing going on um there's we've got our whole life to look forward to and so you know it's easy kind of to push that off and say you know what I'm doing good and I it's it's going to be okay and everything's all right you know but uh you know I have been at the bedside of, of people as they were about to pass into the next life. And if you have family that passed away, uh, most of the people listening to this probably have as well. And uh, and I can tell you for sure that being sure that you're right with God in that moment, when when you're about to pass from this life to the next, when you're about to actually face your Creator, uh, is entirely different. When... when you know, it's a different thing to be sure when you don't have any future to look forward to other than in the next life. And it seems like the the carpet is being pulled out from under your feet. There's no more pretense. There's no more reason to put on airs. There's no more, you know, there's no more trying to get out of the conversation. I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you say, what you do. The truth will be the truth. And if you try to convince me otherwise... Um, it really doesn't matter if you succeed in convincing me that everything's right between you and God. It doesn't really matter because in the next few minutes, you're going to stand before him. And what I think or what your mom thinks or what anybody else thinks really doesn't matter. All that matters is what is true. I think many of us don't know how strong in the faith we really are until we're tested. You know, it's like having a loaded gun pointed at your head, you know, with an angry person on the other end of it. Uh, now, when you think about this scenario, you might say, well, I'll tell you what I'd do. You know, if somebody points a gun at me, I'll grab that gun or I'll just tell him he's going to shoot me. You better shoot me because if you don't shoot me, I'm going to be coming for you. You know, it's easy to say all that. But when you actually find yourself staring down the barrel of a loaded gun, and yes, I have been in that situation with someone who was angry on the other side. It wasn't just a, hey, look, I'm pointing a gun. It was like, I'm fixing to kill you. Um, I can tell you that's a that's a whole different that's a whole different animal that's a whole different feeling than running thoughts through your mind thinking well I wish somebody'd point a gun at me uh, when you're facing that when you're facing that it's a it's a whole different feeling so 
Turning to uh, turning to Job, what we what we've seen so far is that God sees Job as perfect and righteous, not because Job is sinless, but because Job has faith and he trusts in God, trusts in God's word. He, you know, we've seen him offer. He Job sacrifices daily, uh, so we know he's not sinless, and we know he doesn't consider himself sinless. Uh, he's described in chapter one of Job as as fearing God and turning away from evil. Uh, we've also seen that uh, Satan has challenged God to test Job's faith. He said if, um, if, if God were to take away all the things that he's blessed Job with, Job's faith would prove to be false. He, he was basically, he was saying that Job didn't love God for who God is. Job just loved God because of all the things God was doing for him. Um, in essence, he was calling Job an idolater. He was saying that Job loves God as long as God has given good things to Job. And if God were to stop blessing Job with good things, then Job would uh, would demonstrate that he doesn't really love God at all. He just loves the benefits of God. And we talked about how so many of us are that way. Um, so God gives Satan permission to do whatever he will with all Job's possessions. Um, but he doesn't allow him, he, not yet, he doesn't allow him to, to touch Job himself. He doesn't, allow, he doesn't allow Satan to mess with Job's health or Job's life or anything like that. Um, we haven't got that far yet. Right now he's just... Uh, he's just um, He's just attacking the blessings, the external blessings that Job has uh, has received from God. So we're going to pick up in verse 13. If you have your Bible, it's Job one thirteen, And what we're about to witness here is the destruction of a man's life. I mean, uh, Satan is about to take away everything from Job in order to see if Job will curse God and prove that his faith is not genuine as God has said that it is. Remember that God said Job is a righteous man. He's a he's a perfect and blameless man before him. So you got kind of a little wager going on in the background, for lack of a better way to put it. Uh, Satan is telling God, you know, Job's not all that. You're, he's just good to you because you're good to him. You stopped being good to him in the form of these uh, exorbitant, comfortable blessings. Uh, his his true nature will be shown. But God knows that Job's nature has been has been changed. And what we're going to see as we go throughout the book is not that. You know, uh, Job is not a perfect man. By the end of the book, Job is going to be very frustrated. He's going to be very tired. He's going to be very. Um, he's going to be very agonized, and, and you know, dare I say, a little angry at God. And and God is going to chastise him for that. So we're going to look at a picture of a man who's not perfect, and we're going to look down into the life and soul of a man who who uh, who feels pain just like you and I do, who questions things just like you and I do. But the root of this man is that he has been he has been uh, changed by God. He he is a man of faith. He is a man who has been, if we'll put it in New Testament terms, he has been born again. He's been regenerated by God. So the stage is set in verse 13 when Scripture says, And there was a day when his sons, talking about Job, and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. Remember the other lessons? They did this every day. Uh, we see that everything here is going on 
in this verse, just as it always had before, just life is continuing on. The children of Job keep on eating. They keep on feasting. They keep on drinking every single day. They're in a different brother's house. The The children, they just enjoyed the blessings of God that he'd given Job and his family. Um, this is really all they did. They feasted and lived it up every day. So, uh, so much so that Job got up every morning to sacrifice for each of his children because he was afraid that they might have cursed God uh, in their heart as they were partying. So life goes on. Verse 13, it's just giving us a picture of. So it's almost like when you watch a movie, uh, what the author of, of, of Job here is doing. He's painting the picture of you. It's just, you know, life is going on. Everything's fine. You know, you know it's just he's showing us the unexpected nature of uh, the the trials that are fixing to, to come into Job's life. Right here we see that, you know, it's just life goes on for Job and his family. His children continue living in excess. Job continues to sacrifice every morning in honor of God. He continues to live fearing God. His servants continue serving and his business is moving and his fields are being plowed and you know his animals are being bred and sold and the the goods of his work are being bought and sold and life is going on the one thing you can be certain of is that when suffering comes to you and if you live in this world in this life in this flesh in this genesis 3 world it will come um, it'll be unexpected if God would have told Job what was coming. If God would have told him, you know, hey, in, in, today Satan's coming. He's gonna, you know, I've allowed him to to uh, take these blessings from you. Um, I don't know what Job would have thought, but I know that he would uh, at least been able to prepare himself for what was coming. Uh, he would have been able to. To, you know, plead with his children to turn to God. He would have, you know, talked to his servants. He would have no doubt changed some things that were going on. But the thing is that suffering doesn't give it give you warning before it comes. It just comes. It comes when you least expect it. And our response to that suffering demonstrates the reality or the false nature of our faith in God. We believe, um, you know, we believe that God is in control of all things, and he is in control of all things. So if that's true, even when the bad things happen, we have to look to him with an eye of faith, knowing that he is in control and that nothing comes to us in our lives that doesn't pass through his hands first. Uh, Satan didn't come and attack Job and attack his blessings uh, under his own authority. That's something that's very important that we have to remember throughout this book. Satan did not have the power just to unleash himself upon Job. The first thing he had to do was go to God, and it was God himself that gave Satan permission to to be unleashed upon Job. He did not have the authority to do anything outside of God's will, and we need to remember that. At the beginning of uh, verse 14, Job's world is about to come falling down around his ears. The first thing that Satan takes from Job is his financial prosperity. And that's where, you know, for us, um, you know, that, that hits home the hardest, um, especially in this culture that we live in. It's, it's instructive that Satan starts here because... Uh, for successful men like Job, this is where they put their trust. This is where many of us put their trust. And it's easy for us 
it's easy for us. I'm not a rich person. I'm not an overly successful. I'm comfortable and, you know, I, I'm blessed and all that. But I don't live in a mansion, don't have a bunch of cars, don't have, you know, uh, don't have bunches of money in the bank and all those things. And it's easy for someone like me to look at people who are really rich and say, oh, that person's putting their money in, their their trust in riches and all those things. But I got to tell you, it's just as easy. It's just as easy for someone like me or someone poorer than me or richer than me from one end of the prosperity, financial prosperity spectrum to the very other end of the spectrum. It's just as easy for any of us to put our trust in those things that is it is for the multi-billionaire whatever you know you just think um, I can think of times when there was not much money in the bank uh, and the air conditioner of the uh, at the house would go out and you would have to spend a bunch of money on on heat and air for the house and the bank account would get so low you would start thinking oh no it's you know this is this is it it's over what am i going to do and that's a great instance of a person who's not rich whatsoever and who has you know for for all intents and purposes is not living in excess but is putting their trust in money or in financial security or the lack thereof so we shouldn't um, most of the people on the planet are below the poverty line Uh, most of the people in america are what's called you know middle class um, which is a very broadly defined term but it's easy for it's easy for the people who are not overtly and abundantly rich to to say well i don't have to worry i don't have to worry about putting my trust in money because i ain't got no money well it's just as easy for a poor person to put their trust in money as it is a rich person because you're always scrounging to get if i can just get a little more if i can just save a little more if i can just do if i could just get out of this hole my friend you're putting your you're putting your trust in money just as much as an abundantly wealthy man is putting their trust in money so um we see that fact and we also see that many successful men define themselves by the level of money that they have so that's true as well and when all that disappears you know so does self-worth and so does faith in god i mean how demoralizing is it if you've ever had something like that happen you know something like you know uh the the house burned down or just or just something that rocked your financial security whether you are abundantly rich or whether you don't have anything at all uh, when anything when anything rocks the boat of the security that we feel by having um, having money and possessions um, it, it it demonstrates where our trust is that now does that mean you shouldn't be scared you shouldn't be worried you shouldn't be working you shouldn't be trying to improve things better things you shouldn't be saving of course not we're not not saying anything like that but what we are saying is does it just does it destroy and completely demoralize you when you know you're uncertain about how things are going to turn out that's the point um uncertainty about where it's going to come from or how am I going to get through this um, will either bring out your faith in God or it will show your lack thereof. So the first thing we see 
is Job's farming income is going to be destroyed. Now, back then there were no, you know, wasn't no industry, wasn't no no things like that. So, people like Abraham and Job and, you know, their their wealth was measured um, you know, in servants and land and family and crops in in livestock, in trade and in, in those kind of things. And that's how that's how that's how life and business were done. Verse 14 and 15 says, And there came a messenger unto Job. Now think about this. Job is just rocking right along. Everything's going fine. And this guy runs up to Job and he said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And verse 15 says, And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. So here, the first blow lands. Evil men called Sabaeans attacked Job's income. They attacked his his farming. The oxen were plowing the fields and the donkeys beside them. And uh, they were working the ground. They were used to plow the ground. To, to the, the servants were out there planting crops or picking crops or doing whatever they were doing. And all of a sudden, these men who who are from southwestern Arabia came and they fell upon Job's cattle uh, and men while they were while they were feeding and plowing they stole his oxen stole his donkeys stole his stuff um, these were the very instruments used for plowing and farming large large parts uh, plots of ground and the men the men killed Job's servants and in one fell swoop an entire section of Job's finances is gone it's destroyed uh, in an instance like this, one you know you you could be tempted to say that that God didn't really have anything to do with it because this was the work of the of these evil men. Um, this was the work of men who you know didn't care about God or God's law and everything. Um, evil men decided that they wanted Job's stuff and and here they came and took it. But truthfully, we can say that it was it was Satan who put it in these in this these men's hearts to come down and take what Job had, but we can't forget that it was God who first allowed him to be set loose on Job. So Satan didn't have the power to unleash uh, his minions, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, uh, without God. But but just in case you're tempted, or Job was tempted, to blame this event only on the evil actions of men, and you know, well, we live in a fallen world, and this is what you know, it's what's going to happen. A second messenger arrives before the first messenger can even finish speaking. Um, the next verse says, "While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, the fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee." So here's another. Here's another uh, segment of Job's farming industry. Uh, uh, this is another part of this is it, presumably this is a different place. It's a different part of the land from where the Sabaeans had fought, had uh, attacked Job. But uh, this is where the people were working sheep and and the fire of God destroyed them all. So I want you to think about this. This was another uh, it was another blatant attack on Job's finances and prosperity. But this time there were no evil men. There were no there were no wicked people that we could blame this on this time it was the very fire of god that fell from the sky i mean can you imagine 
This this was destroying all he had. This is uh, there's no mistake in it. There's no mistake in it. There's no other explanation. It's God who controls, uh, you know, weather patterns. And I mean, especially if, if fire falling from the sky. Do you think do you think today without God's authority, without God's power, without God's say, Satan could just make fire fall from heaven and destroy something? Uh, for me, the the proposition of that. It's just ludicrous. Uh, I don't really know what this looked like. You know, I've never seen fire fall from the sky. Um, I don't know what it looked like, but what a spectacle it must have been. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, we're talking about a, a large plot of ground here. You know, we're talking about a large farming income. It said that Job was one of the one of the the great men of the East. I mean, he was uh, the greatest of the men of the East. So we're not talking about this is my acre house here, I, you know, in my acre ground, and I got you know twelve, fifteen sheep that are out here grazing. I mean, you could be talking hundreds of acres, thousands of acres. You could be talking thousands and thousands and thousands of sheep when you go looking at the men in the Bible and and what they did and how they how they operated with each other you know Jacob uh trying to appease his brother Esau sent thousands of animals to him saying here take these take these take these you know and and Jacob uh, he uh, he got those animals from thousands and thousands and thousands that he had worked uh with Laban and so y- you can see different um transactions going on in the Old Testament where men they they operated uh and in exchanged thousands of animals so think about this think, this is this is acres and acres and acres of land with with thousands of animals on it and the fire of god here you want to think of like you know you want to think of like little burning pellets of hail or something but you know that's not going to completely destroy land and animals of that magnitude i mean this was this was you know, it, it could have been Sodom and Gomorrah scale destruction going on here. I, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of just letting my letting my imagination go with it. But I, I think I'm making educated educated um, observations because Job was a very rich man. Job was a very rich man, and most of his income was going to be from farming and trade and and all these kind of things. Farming, including both working the ground and uh, animals. Uh, so this was not some small little operation where God could send a little hailstorm and it would completely wipe it out. We're talking about the fire of God that falls from heaven that just uh, it said it burnt up the sheep, it burnt up the servants, and it consumed them you know we're not talking about little little pebbles of burning hail here we're talking about a massive fire from god uh falling so he has no farm no more farm animals oxen gone donkeys gone sheep gone he has no more servants that work the ground for him the the two the the men from the the evil Sabaeans came and destroyed all those, and then the other ones, the fire of God fell upon him. So this alone right here would be enough to cause a man to fall into desperation, but we're not even close to finished yet. Job's farming income and industry had been totally destroyed. It's gone. Now Satan 
targets Job's trade income. Verse 17 says, while, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels uh, and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Once again, evil men come to attack Job's livelihood. This time it's the Chaldeans. Um, these are from southeastern Mesopotamia. Uh, later they were known as, as Babylonians, and so you see a, a picture of, of them you know running through scripture uh, in a bunch of different ways they they raided his caravans of camels and took everything uh, they killed his servants um, the reason why I say his trade income is because of the arid climates and the you know the desert the landscapes the camels were about the only way that goods could travel you know a long distance across the wildernesses and deserts um, to be sold and and in marketplaces and things like that so what we see here is you know job wasn't raising camels just to be raising camels we see that this was this was the means that he used. Um, to transport his his crops, his goods, his animals, his his servants, his people uh, to all across the Mediterranean, all across to the different peoples, and to sell them. So here, in one fell swoop, a band of raiders came and destroyed all Job's trade income. Even if Job had something left in his farming from from the destruction of the cattle and sheep, he'd have no way to trade it. He'd have no way to get it anywhere so in these three acts that we've seen so far satan effectively destroyed every bit of job's prosperity and income i mean can you imagine the shocking turn of events that this must have been for job uh you know i woke up this morning i was a blessed man i was blessed so much from god that i was one of the greatest men in the east with so much in abundance that my kids were able to feast and enjoy life every single day and uh now it's all gone well at least at least he still has his family at least he still has his children and then we come to course verse 18 and 19 it says while he was yet speaking there came also another. Make sure you understand that these messengers came one right after the other. Job doesn't have time to process the destruction of his oxen and his servants and his donkeys before he's told about the fire of God destroying his sheep. He doesn't have time to process how the fire of God can destroy the rest of his farming industry um, while he doesn't have time to process process that uh, because another messenger comes and says that the Chaldeans have also attacked him. And before he even has time to understand why the Chaldeans would have attacked him and taken his camels, yet here comes another messenger. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. As the second messenger was still speaking, this news was brought to Job. I mean, can you imagine? All his children are dead. The worst news any parent could ever hear. Not only were his children killed, but they were they were killed in a freak storm. I mean, it just says a, a wind. A wind came out of the wilderness and blew the house down. They were killed by an act of God. So what you see here is you got 
two instances of evil men attacking, and you got two instances of of supernatural phenomena. Really, you have the freak storm, and you have the fire of God falling. So now we're really getting down to to the brass tacks because not only is all Joe's prosperity and blessing gone, but now all his children are gone. What we've seen was was. I mean, this had to have shaken him to the very core of his being. This should let us know that that you know it's God who is in control of all things. Whether whether we have blessing today or not, it's in God's hands. And and to think, I often tell people this. You know, they they want to ask why. You know, especially you know we'll see that as we we work through you know Job here. But people ask why? Why do bad things happen to good people? The truth is the question you should be asking is why do good things happen at all? I mean if you live for a month and then on one day you experience tragedy and this is you know a tornado hit your house or something like that, you know, this is not something that we can be explained away. Why would God allow this to happen? The truth is that because of our sin, condemnation should have fallen on us every moment of every day. But God doesn't let that happen. God gives us grace and mercy day in, day out. The problem is that we're spoiled. We're spoiled to his grace and mercy. What did you do when you woke up this morning? You got up and you experienced blessing. You know, we even if you even if you even if you didn't have a very good day, you know, you had clothes on your back. You were able to enjoy sunrise. You were able to drink coffee and talk to your friends. And, you know, you you were able to live your life in relative comfort, not experiencing the weight of the condemnation of God as it bore down on you in the form of sickness or in the form of tragedy or in the form of of wrathful punishment or those things. So more often than not, God gives you mercy every single day. And then when something does happen, when something, when God lifts his hand and allows something to come into our life, what do we do? Just like spoiled kids. Why are you doing this to me when God has been so good to us? Um, there's no one good. So why does anything good happen? Now, most of us know the story that we're going to be talking about, the story of Job all too well. It's easy to it's easy to hear the story of how Job lost everything. And because we've heard it so many times, the the true weight of what he is suffering, it kind of blows right past us. In one moment of time, Job Job receives news that that all his prosperity is gone. He's broke. Um, his means of making a living are gone. There's and these are, this is the day where there is no welfare, there is no government assistance, there is no nothing. Um, there's no assurance that he'll be able to provide another meal for himself. He has no more servants or people around him to begin to rebuild. He has nothing. He's left alone with his wife. He doesn't even have children to take pleasure in anymore. Um, his basically what this would mean was everything that he had worked for to pass down is gone. He doesn't even have people to pass it down to. When Job dies, as far as he's concerned at this moment, when he dies, the the memory of him will be gone. He will have no lineage. He will have no nothing to prove that he was ever even on the earth. It's all gone. Everything that would have signified that there was a man named Job has been taken. Um, this is a man, you know, it's not like us going through a trial. This is a man who loses everything, and I mean everything. 
in one moment. Before one messenger even finished speaking, another one came to bring him more bad news of loss and destruction. He lost everything. Satan knew exactly how to take everything from this man so that he no longer had any measurable blessing in his life and that we could see external blessing. Uh, He had gone from a man most blessed to a man with absolutely nothing. Now, what would you do in such a circumstance? I think we all know what we're supposed to do, you know, so it's it's a no-brainer for us as believers. We're supposed to trust God through the thick and the thin. We're supposed to know that he has everything well in hand and everything he does is for our ultimate good. Um, this should it should lead up to to lead us to praise him and to worship in the most painful circumstances. We know that is what we should do. But I want you to really put yourself in Job's shoes. What would you do today if you lost your job, all your bank accounts, all your credit, all your means of of making a livelihood, and your entire family? In one day, in the matter of just a few moments of time, probably three minutes at the most, Job received the news that he lost all of this, all gone. Would worship or thanksgiving be the first thing on your mind? If you answer no, then I think, you know, I want to congratulate you for being honest, really. Um, I don't think it would be for me either. I want to think that coming out the end of the tunnel of tribulation, I would still love God and desire to serve him. But I also know that if if it happens that way, it's because God himself has done a supernatural work in me. It's not because I'm such a good person in and of myself, of my own flesh. Um, I don't I don't see myself being that noble. I mean, I want to be. I just don't know. So that's that's really the real issue when we talk about, uh, you know, we talk about living lives of faith and salvation. It's not in our own strength that we endure to the end, trusting in Christ. It's in the strength of the Holy Spirit, which dwells in us. I'm not depending on me to keep my faith strong. I'm depending on him because I have no strength. Um, that's something that we need to understand from the get-go. We will go through times of trial. We will sometimes question God's actions or motives, even though we know that to do this is a sin. But when the final shoe is dropped, it is God regenerating. It's his regenerating power that has changed our hearts and causes us to walk in his ways and to... to uh, and to look to him as our only source of healing and trust. I... I've always heard that you shouldn't judge a person by their actions. You should judge them by their reactions. We we can set up we can set up and prepare for the actions of life and what we what we'll do or what we won't do. Uh, but when you get blindsided by tragedy or sin, and it just I mean it comes and, and you just were not ready to face it. Um, it's how we react that shows who we really are. Sometimes we don't like who we really are. Um, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're somebody we're not. Um, every man thinks he's brave until he gets shot at for the first time. Uh, his reaction tells him exactly who he is. So what What did Job do? How does Job react to the most horrible news that any man can receive in a single day? 
verses 20 through 22, these last few verses are going to show us. It says, Then Job arose, and he rent his mantle. That means he tore his clothes. And he shaved his head, and he fell down upon the ground, and he worshipped. Verse 21 says, And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And verse 22, we'll end this section. It says, In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. All I can say is that Job is the man. Um, the first thing we see is that, you know, we read this and, and we, we kind of gloss over the fact that Job Job is grieving deeply here. He's not just, this is not just, you know, he's not just saying, well, I done lost everything. It's okay. God's still good. It's all wonderful. Um, Job was honorable and faithful in what he said now and what he did. Um, but we should never think that this means he wasn't hurting as much as any of us would be. The very first thing he did um, was stood to his feet and he tore his clothes, which was in that day a sign of mourning and suffering. And he shaved his head, uh, which was also a symbol of deep, deep mourning. Job um, won't sin by cursing or blaming God. He won't, uh, he won't give up his faith. But by his first actions, we got to see, we got to assume that Job is going through more pain and torment than he's ever experienced in his life. He he shaved his head, which was was to show others his mourning to to be an external symbol of the pain that he was feeling in his heart if you if you put yourself in his place i think you you know you would understand the depths of the sorrow um, he's facing and and one day he lost almost every every blessing that god had ever given him um <laughs> i say almost because he's still he still got his health you know for now uh, but we'll come to that soon enough um don't make no mistake job was suffering down to the very depth of his being i don't i don't think there are any words that that can really describe how he felt if you're if you're a parent you know and you if you lost a child you know uh, i've never had to go through anything like that but i know people that have and i've i've been with people that have and i mean how do you explain the pain that that causes um there have been people in, you know, people in my church that have lost children, and I can tell you that, man, it's just tragic. I've never, you know, by God's grace, I haven't had to go through anything like that. Um, but there were moments when I remember a, a couple that lost a child, and this was not a baby. It was, you know, he was almost a man. And they lost a child, and. There, it was so much pain that the father just could only he could only rock back and forth crying and wailing i mean it was just he couldn't it was just incoherent talk all he could do was just rock back and forth and and cry and scream and wail and i mean there's just no words of comfort that do any good in that in those moments i mean all you can do is be there and suffer with them the the depth of suffering is too great um for me, you know, you can't walk up and say, you know, everything's going to be okay. It's going to be, you know, no, everything's not going to be okay. I mean, it's not that suffering is is it's a deep it's a deep seated pain that 
I mean, it hurts on a level that is just indescribable. I, I don't know what you might be suffering through right now, but I know that you're either going through something or that soon enough you will be going through something. We live in the Genesis 3 sinful world. Suffering will be coming your way sooner or later. One way or another, we're going to relate to Job either sooner or later so it's going to be instructed to see how job responds but i want you to keep something in the back of your mind here in the beginning job is going to respond in an unbelievably faithful way Um, at the beginning of his suffering job responds in such a faith as can't be imagined he does not sin by charging god with wrongdoing um But as we progress through the book and we see that Job's suffering doesn't quickly go away, but it just keeps going and going and going and going, Job is going to get wore down. Uh, He's going to get wore down by the suffering itself, and he's going to be wore down by the three friends that are going to show up to try to, uh, quote, unquote, comfort him. Um, He's going to get frustrated and sorrowful in such a way that at the end of the book, he will actually demand an audience with with God, and uh, and boy, will he get it. Um, So be careful when you're examining Job's immediate response to to his suffering. Um, yes, this is the way believers should respond to suffering in their lives. But Job's response here, Job's response is not a its not a quick answer to all the troubles that we will face in this world. Um, if you take just chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Job and say, look, if you're going through suffering, this is how you're supposed to, this is how you're supposed to react. This is how you're supposed to address it. You're missing the point of the book of Job. Job's situation is a lot more complex and it's going to be developed through the the chapters of the book he's about to embark on a journey that's going to take him to the very bottom of human suffering and he's going to emerge out the other side a new man so before you are too hard on yourself because you don't know that you know if you would respond the way that job responds you need to understand that this is really just the beginning for job Um, if job's suffering ended right here then you know he might have been good to go he might have been you know it, it may not have been you know uh, necessary to even uh, talk about it but unfortunately this is this is just the tip of the iceberg for job his suffering is going to continue and uh, the questioning of his suffering is going to is going to lead to more questioning and the longer that his suffering is extended um, the more and more, the more and more tired and angry and grieved he's going to get. So, Job grieved very deeply, but that isn't all he did. He worshipped. He worshipped God deeply. Verse twenty says he fell down upon the ground and worshipped. It's a it's a very uncommon reaction to suffering. Uh, he worshipped God. He realized that he was owed nothing from God. I mean, think about that. He understood that God deserves worship just because he's God, not because he's done good things or bad things for Job. Um, This right here is the essence of Satan's accusation of Job. You remember what Satan told God? He said that if God took away Job's blessings, Job would curse him to his face. Satan thought that Job loved God because of all the good things that God had done for him. Yet now we see the opposite. Job loved God because he is God. Without all, when the good things were taken all away, Job lifted to his feet. He 
mourned and grieved like any man would. Then he fell down on the ground and he worshiped because God is worthy of worship. He's worthy of our love and devotion if he never does anything for you. Job had every external blessing removed from his life, and he still worshiped God because God is God. You ever thought about that when that when we you know go through suffering it's easy for us to come to God with our needs it's easy for us to come to God begging for deliverance and to have have our pain eased huh? there's no obstacle in the way when we have nothing to distract us from calling on a sovereign God but but worship i mean is wor- is worship what you do first when you're in the midst of your suffering and and you're seeking God, uh, for most of us, including myself, crying out for help is what I do first. Um, not worshiping, but here we see Job worship before he did anything else. He mourned and grieved, of course, and then he worshipped. He didn't say, "God, why are you doing this to me?" He he, we haven't got there yet. He he didn't say, "How could this happen?" He worshiped God and said, you know what the Lord gives? And the Lord took it away. He understands something fundamental to what we've been talking about in each lesson. That's Romans 3, that God doesn't owe you anything. And the fact that Job got to live under those blessings, um, it was just an act of kindness, an act of kindness of God. So whether you know it or not, God deserves worship just because he's all-powerful, holy. Whether he blesses you or not, he deserves to be praised and worshiped. Um, When you go to church and sing, do you sing praises from your heart in a spirit of worship? Or do you just go? Go through the motions, waiting for the song to be over so you can hurry up and sit down. Is that worship? Do you worship God when you're alone? Most people, they, I've heard it. I've heard it said many, many times. You know, you don't have to go to church to worship. But do you really worship when you're all by yourself? Does a few minutes of thoughts of adoration, pointed God's direction, count? You know, more the the more important question that I ask myself. All those are questions for you, but they're also questions for me. Is that if if I have trouble worshiping when everything is going great? How in the world would I worship in spirit and truth when the things are awful, when there's no joy? And let me say one more thing before we move on. Worship isn't just, you know, it isn't just singing on Sundays. It's it's a life of prayer, of service, obedience to God. Worship is a lifestyle, not just an event that takes place once a week. What I have noticed among many people is that when suffering and hardship come, I tend to be like Adam in the garden desiring to hide from God rather than to run to him in worship and adoration. I want to go I want to go fix it and then come back to God. But Job understands that he's owed nothing. He says that he came into the world with nothing and he's going to leave the world with nothing. Everything everything that uh, that that he has accrued in this life, uh, the the riches and all those things is because God allowed him to have it. The only reason he was successful and prosperous is because God has blessed him. The only reason Job had any children at all is because God has blessed him. The only reason Job had anything other than the all-out wrath and condemnation of God is because God had been gracious and merciful. He says all this when he says that the Lord's given 
and the Lord's taken away. And even though the Lord has taken away all his blessings, Job says that the name of the Lord is blessed. He's God no matter what. Job was not upset because God had taken away all the things Job had worked for. He knew that he had nothing and it was God who had given him all those things to start with. God is well within his right to give and take away. When I said Job was not upset, what I mean is he was not, at this moment, he was not charging God with wrongdoing. He was not upset with God. He was grieving and he was upset and he was mourning and he was in pain and he was in all, all those things. But right here at this moment, he was not charging God with wrongdoing because God hadn't done him wrong. It's God who gives and it's God who who, who takes away. Um, it, it's just it's just remarkable. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Uh, the last the last verse in this section sums up it it kind of just sums up the whole the whole the whole uh, uh, the whole arena of Job's first trial Job's faith which which is what God had lauded earlier by calling him blameless and and fearing God and turning away from evil um, it's it's vindicated God was right uh, Job was righteous. Uh, Satan had thrown everything at Job at the kitchen sink and in the final examination here Job did not sin by blaming God. Satan was wrong. Job did not love God because of the blessings God had given him. Job loved God because he is God. And if this were the end of the story Job would have been vindicated totally in his love for God. Uh, but this is not the end. And Job will be vindicated in the end, but he's going to go through a lot more suffering and a lot more pain um, before the end of the story. Um, and it's going to tell us a lot more about suffering in God. Job is uh, he's about to go through an even tougher trial. Um, his faith is going to be tested even further. Um, but the question that we've you know, we got to ask ourselves here is, is, why do we love God? Do we simply love God because of what he's done for us? Or do we love God because he is God and he's worthy of our love? He's worthy of our affections. Do we, would we love God the same if he didn't bless us with the blessings that we have? Or do we need God to do things for us in order for him to earn our worship?